0: There's a
1: lack of uh, communication and accountability uh, and professionalism uh, in in the industry in general. And if you can simply make communication uh, easy for the customer or the client, uh, you're going to win.
0: Welcome to the Painter Growth Podcast, where we help you scale your painting company in record time. Join us as we explore sales, marketing, hiring, finances, leadership, and more, everything that you need to know to scale and grow your painting business. I hope you enjoy and subscribe. What's up, everybody? Mike Gore-Hickman here, founder of PainterGrowth.com. And uh, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Painter Growth podcast. I have a a wonderful guest here, super excited to sit down and chat with my good friend, John Evans, uh, founder of Everline Coatings, previous painting contractor. Huge growth story, really quick, uh, basically 17 locations to almost a hundred locations in just over a year. And uh, John, stoked to have you here, man.
1: Hey, hey, thanks for having me, Mike. Always a pleasure to, to connect and talk shop.
0: Awesome, awesome. So let's just start out with your origin story. How did you get into painting and how did you get into the pavement maintenance business and where are you now? Just a quick five minutes, Give the give the guys some context.
1: Sure. Well, even going, uh, before that, uh, my, my parents were entrepreneurs. They were actually, uh, uh franchi- multi-unit franchise owners in the, uh, uh, you know, in the eighties, nineties, two thousands, that sort of thing. Uh, so kind of grew up around, uh, around entrepreneurs and going to the office and, uh, that sort of thing. And then of course, uh, going into, uh, into high school. Uh, they're, uh, you know, just working in, you know, various brands, like, like, like franchise brands and things like that. So, you know, not really understanding it or knowing it at the time, but just really starting to get used to, uh, standard operating procedures and just, uh, you know, more structured environment and what that looks like. Uh, then as soon as I went to, uh, to school to university, I became a college Pro painters franchisee, uh, and, uh, you know, ran that for about three years. So my first, um. Uh, uh, I guess, uh, first year was a, was a classic, uh, year I went in, uh, more or less like, super overconfident thought I knew everything. And then just totally got, uh, uh, my first season just, you know, hired all my friends and it was, uh, it was, you know, it was a loss year, uh, in that year. And, uh, so really there was, well, there was two options that you could as an entrepreneur is. You know, lick your wounds and just say, uh, you know, I, I, this wasn't for me, or it was like, I knew everything I was doing wrong let's push forward and, uh, and make it a success. So I was able to get it up to one of the top performing college Pro locations in North America as a result. And, uh, and then, yeah, then as soon as I finished, uh, uh you know, kind of, uh, wrapped up that college pro painters program, uh, went to actually, I knew I wanted to keep running my own business and, uh, I, I, I went to a franchise show. But, uh, you know, it's just to kind of see. And I ran into a company uh, that uh, was not selling a franchise, but licensing a durable type of traffic marking product. Uh, and so they actually had a line painting machine on display. So me coming from the painting world, uh, you know, a line painting machine is essentially a, a, a airless, Graco airless sprayer on wheels. So it caught my eye, caught my attention and went up and started discussing the industry. And, uh, you know, it was discussed that very much like the painting industry, the line painting world, uh, uh, parking lot line painting world was uh, just lacking a, uh, a well branded leader. And, uh, you know, more or less kind of is just applying a lot of those elements that I learned in the painting industry and trade, as well as being combined with a brand uh, and applying them to this industry. And once we, you know, just started operating and then, you know, doubled in revenue, doubled in revenue, doubled in revenue over and over and over again. And eventually it turned into, um, uh, you know, we, we started to, uh, to franchise the business and, uh, this was back in 2016, 17, uh, here in Canada. And, uh, and then, yeah, uh, uh kind of grown a little bit since then.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Huge story. So you ran your business for how many years before you decided to sell your first franchise?
1: Uh, it was about five years.
0: Five years. Yeah. Um, one thing I really like is that is how you identified a need, which was a professionalism in a new industry that you knew very little about, and realized that it could be done better quite easily.
1: Well, uh, a lot of it was in the foundation of the classic cliche, uh, I guess, contractor issue, which is the um, which is that there's a lack of uh, communication and accountability. Uh, and professionalism uh, in in the industry in general. And if you can simply make communication uh, easy for the customer or the client, uh, you're going to win. It really as simple as that. And, uh, uh, you know, we started applying that in this industry. And uh, yeah, it's still our number one biggest compliment uh, all across North America.
0: Love it. I mean, especially in the painting industry, there's such a low bar set for customer service and communication and professionalism.
1: Oh, 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 yeah. Well, I think that that's where, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's not a lot of effort. It's just being on your toes and adjusting your habits to uh, to stay on top, uh, to make sure your client is informed. The beginning of every of every day, the end of every day. Simple as that. Right. And if you can systemize that to make sure that that does happen with a minimal effort, whether it is with a team member uh, or if it's uh, even automated uh, through through software or something like that. Uh, then uh, you're already cut above the rest.
0: So I want I do want to talk about getting commercial work because obviously your business is pretty much exclusively B2B and there's a lot of similarities to uh, just paying contractors and how they approach B2B. But before I do that, I want to just uh, dive into the importance of systems because creating a franchise is all about systems and you've done what so many painters have tried to do where they get one or two locations and they have aspirations of wanting to franchise all across the country i can't tell you how many painters i've talked to who want to do that and now you've done it in a in a very similar industry so, just let's talk about identifying systems in a small business, and then and then scaling those up. What does your process for that look like?
1: So, well, coming from a franchise system, I was used to having SOPs and systems to work with. Uh, so, I had experienced that. and of course, you know, in, in my prior history of working in franchise businesses. So, I began to build systems just for myself. Uh, uh, you know, to because you know when it came to training somebody uh, or even hiring or uh, the estimation process or sales process uh if i i found it just used far more brain power and just uh, uh you know just constantly thinking like you trying to remember what was the process for this if, if there even was one uh, uh to make sure that the, the clients were getting a uniform experience that covered all bases Uh, And I think that, you know, once you start developing those systems uh, to really make the execution of your service much more uh, consistent, uh, you are now inadvertently creating something scalable uh, where you have a written procedure that somebody else can do and say there's something, you know, there's a lot of people that can't delegate or hand off or not can't, but they just, they have a, they have a hard time letting go and letting their business grow that they want to, you know, have their hands on and on everything. If, uh, if say there's just something you do or the or the uh, uh, that the uh, the contractor does that uh, you know just really you know makes the day for the customers, add it to the system. Uh, and I think that that is uh, uh, what was kind of a really cr- critical element for me was you know for instance uh, you know I when I would send send off the cruise when I was running this, the first location, send off the cruise, I you know it was a big morale booster. Uh, uh, you know, for them, I chat, joke around with the crew, things like that, as they're getting ready, getting ready to go, get out the door, and they'd be energized and ready to roll. But then it came to the point where I couldn't be at every, you know, uh, uh, what we call a scrum, uh, uh, where everyone gets together and it's kind of like a toolbox talk. And so I systemized. There's, you know, whoever's leading the scrum has to provide a validation or uplifting moment, right, to energize the team to get them out there. So it's in a way simulating me being there. Uh, and, and happening that way, so that allowed the uh, just the the consistent execution of just basic tasks uh, that I didn't have to personally do, which which allowed for scale. And uh, then, of course, you know, making sure that that happens in your own business first. And uh, yeah, no franchising it. That is, uh, uh, you know, it, it's that's it, it a whole other world. Uh, we could have a whole podcast on that. <laughs> that kind of
0: thing. Yeah. So I mean, even on the even on the single location. Um, A lot of guys are are scared to systemize and delegate various processes and procedures that they do because they don't want their team to make mistakes and mm-hmm. they don't want that, yeah. those mistakes to reflect on them. So, I mean, how do you how did you at the time deal with that? And I'm sure you still still deal with some of that. Oh, today. Yeah.
1: yeah. So uh, I'm of uh, very of the, of the very strong opinion that some fires have to burn. Uh, that uh, uh, it's a it's an important part of the process uh, that if you go and, and you, you know, you are constantly, you know, preventing fires from ever happening, by either just not delegating whatsoever uh, or not giving your staff autonomy, then you are uh, preventing the uh, development of that process, uh, because when things happen, you review and you say, OK, what why? What happened here? Say an issue pops up. What happened here in our process that failed? Uh, was there a variable that we need to consider in the future? And then you adjust that process, and then you keep going going forward. Now, there's also something really interesting we discovered uh, with our rapid pace of growth. Of course, um, there's uh, there 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 are issues on site that happen from time to time, right? Deficiencies, things like that. And it all goes back to communication. There's something called the, um, uh, uh, the, 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 I guess the uh, continued service paradox where that if the job had gone off without a hitch and and it was great and the customer's happy, all that sort of stuff uh, then you're actually not going to get as deep of a relationship with them than as if you did work, your crew was, had the deficiency or something went wrong. Right. And then you came in and saved the day with, your, with a corrective process that actually builds a deeper relationship with the customer to trust you more. So it's something that uh, it's, it's kind of like, you kind of want fires to happen because it's, it depends on how you deal with them. Uh, that, uh, that starts off, uh, that starts off I guess, the, the trust with the, the client on the right foot.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you don't want to go making problems, but you want to look at problems as opportunities. 100%.
1: Yeah, no, they kind of have to happen. Yeah. Uh, You know, the, 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 you know, they they say, you know, and all the entrepreneurial quotes or whatever, like you can't be successful without failing. Well, this is a form of failing and it's part of the process. And, uh, you know, as long as you're a reasonable human being and in the painting trade, especially, you know, problems can be fixed. You paint a color, the wrong wall, you spill some paint, you know, you don't like, you know, scope's different or whatever, everything's fixable. Uh, it's now just how do you deal with the people side of the business?
0: There, yeah, there are no paint emergencies. <laughs> uh,
1: that's it. That's it. Yeah. It, I mean, you know, we've all gotten those phone calls from clients at 1030 at night because you stepped on their flower as well. You can plant new flowers. Yeah.
0: Right? <laughs> like so, yeah, systems are inevitably um, super important. What was the biggest learning that you had going from a single uh, location to the, the quality of the systems needed as you scaled?
1: Um, I, I think that the, the the main thing is that they have to be pretty all encompassing from the uh, the very beginning of, I have no customers at all right now. What do I do all the way to how do I invoice this customer? And then how do I continue the relationship going on and that, that there? So, uh, we developed more or less a flow chart of. Uh, we, uh, uh, we call it mission control. It's like, I have no customers. Here's the marketing process. Eventually someone, you know, prospecting, it's going to be like, what does it take to go and find our customers and breaking that down? Um, and then it's like, if they say no, what's the process for if they say no, because it doesn't stop there. Like, you know, it's not just like no means not yet uh, uh, for for a lot of customers, especially especially in the B2B world. Um, if they say yes, okay, now you've entered the sales process. you have somebody's interested in a quote, now how do you secure that quote? And then dealing with all the variables going down that way, then you get the job, right? And then it's like, how do you get ready for the job? There's the pre-production process. Then there's the actual production process, then the post-production process uh, 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 that goes on with it. So I think that just my my biggest learning is um, you 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 need these these variables for every step of the way. Uh, uh, to, uh, uh or I guess processes for every step of the way to make sure that, uh, you know, you're generally able to handle any situation where your team is.
0: So it sounds like the big difference um, is that a small company, you know, or an owner operator type, you know, less than a, a couple million a year type company uh, might have a bunch of processes, but the owner is still going to be responsible for things. And if the owner got hit by a bus, uh, you know, a lot of those things wouldn't happen, even if they have. Systems and processes, but oh, you oh, yeah. know, if you got hit by a bus, hopefully you don't. But if you did, it sounds like more or less, Everline will continue.
1: Oh yeah, hundred percent it would. Uh, uh, you know, we we have a. I mean, I get it it it's easier said than done. If you asked me five years ago, probably not, right? Uh, or even less than that, probably not. Uh, uh, with scale, of came, came a greater team, uh, and the team needs uh, needs to understand what the objective is, uh, uh, for, for the company and they're executing on that objective and that vision that we had set, uh, uh for all, uh, uh, you know, for, for all of that there. So it would, um, and it's, yeah, it's not like I, I go and do things, uh, 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 myself that are not repeatable. I mean, like, you know, I have my certain magic, uh, uh that I, that I do as the founder of the company, uh, and that's my role. Uh, But the uh, but the rest of the actual function of uh, ensuring that the franchisees are well supported uh, uh, continues on with uh, with a team that knows exactly how how I want it done. It's awesome.
0: Yes, super um, inspirational and aspirational for for many people. Mm -hmm. Now, shifting gears a little bit. um, So for a little bit of a a, a cred, a cred pump, um, approximately how much commercial work will your company uh, secure and produce this year?
1: Uh, we're probably going to be between 25 and 30 million.
0: Okay. couple of jobs. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, for clarity, you also have some big, you know, you have secured and expanded national contracts with seven 11 with home Depot, yep. with huge companies like that. So, so huge opportunities there. Let's get started at the very beginning of, of securing commercial work, you know, rewind the clock to 2008 or whenever you were, you know, running your location in Calgary, how did you approach? How did you figure out which leads to call, who to call, how to call them, how to outreach them? How did you get commercial work to start?
1: So, well, when I very first started, I knew, um, you know, you need to find the decision maker. Right. Uh, and that, that takes research. So a lot of my days in the earlier days were just going on LinkedIn, they were going on, um, uh, uh going on, uh, uh, uh like just the, the property management website, driving around town, seeing a, a strip mall, uh, or, or a property management company, and just seeing their logo on the, uh, on the building itself, Googling the logo right in the parking lot there. And most of the time, actually the property manager's name is listed there. Right. And, uh, now the thing is though, uh, their, uh, their phone is ringing off the hook with two things. Uh, that's primarily some sort of problem or issue. Uh, it's, uh, there's, there's, uh, you know, my air conditioner's broken. We're having a flood. Uh, it's always some sort of problem. Never no one ever calls their property manager to, you know, see how they're doing, that kind of thing. Uh, then it goes into, uh, then it's, it's being solicited by contractors. Uh, painters, plumbers, landscapers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that all want uh, the opportunity to bid. So uh, a lot of it came from, you know, how do you get their attention? Uh, uh, because they're busy. They're busy. And and most of the time, too, they, uh, I, I guess, in the property management world, internally, they'll have a a preferred vendor list. So it's even questionable if they're even searching or Googling for their, uh, for their properties and things like that. So you gotta go directly after them. Uh, uh you still have to cast a net online, of course, to, to capture all those things. But, uh, uh, this is where, uh, at the end of the day though, it's this, this is a way to capture them from multiple touch points because in B2B sales, it is different than B2C for a couple of reasons. One is you're kind of dealing with a force field. Somebody is doing the work at the, the building or property or, or for that manager there currently, it's pretty rare that like, you know, an established B2B uh, customer doesn't have somebody on their Rolodex. Uh, so you need to be able to, uh, to get in there and, uh, uh, and get your name added to that manager list. Um, the, the, the next part about it is that these, these property managers are you know, they're dealing with, uh, uh, like, I guess, uh, budget season, and they have certain buying cycles. And at every, you know, each property manager or or, or business owner, even, is at a different state uh, uh, as to when they're willing to buy. Because you have to think about it that, uh, you know, when you're, when uh, a, a B2B, uh, I guess, customer comes to us as painters, and they're trying to sell you on something, you might be like, yeah, that's an issue I need to get solved right away. Uh, or you're gonna be like, you know what, this is not an issue for me here right now, but it will be eventually. And in the painting world, it will be eventually. So it's like, how do you get into that buying cycle or find out when they're accepting bids and things like that. So this is not even really a sales pitch. This is just, when do you accept bids for these things? And, uh, that's, uh, you know, we've systemized that whole thing. Um, and then, of course, then it goes deeper into refining how do you change language and things like that and dealing with clients to make sure that uh, you don't come across as, you know, salesy, pushy, that you come across as just a solid partner that's highly communicative.
0: important is volume in this game?
1: Oh, uh, pretty, pretty. like you have to constantly uh, uh, keep that pipeline going uh, because, like I said, you don't know where people are at in their buying cycle. So, you know, as you as you uh, uh, go and you build out that, that list of uh, people you're gonna prospect to, uh, putting them into a CRM to uh, really, to make sure that you are keeping track of when you reached out any notes from the interaction. If they say, I collect quotes for this in March, call me then, well then yeah, make a note and call them in March or, or February, even better. So uh, uh, things like that are all there, but uh, uh, in B2B, it's all volume reach outs big time uh, because you're trying to find that needle in a haystack as to when that buyer is ready to buy, or if they're not finding out when they will be ready to buy so that you can be there for when they are.
0: Uh, on a previous call that you came on, uh, with us, you talked about, I can't remember the exact term that you had, but something about the, the buying window or, or having them in the pocket. The window of dissatisfaction. The window of dissatisfaction. Could you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So uh, it's a concept uh, created by uh, uh, author Craig Elias based here in Calgary, actually. Uh, he it's, it's when you have a contractor. Uh, so you say you're a property manager and you've got a guy, right? And you're getting a phone call from this pesky painter, aka you, here. And they're saying, hey, I'd like to bid. And then you're saying, well, you know what? I'm happy with my guy. I'm not even going to accept bids, mm-hmm. right? Right. And so then that property manager or whoever hires that person uh, and then they drop the ball for one way or or another, right? That, that contractor has become comfortable with that relationship and then they, uh, you know, don't show up on time or push the job back or, or whatever, right? There's going to be that moment where that, uh, that B2B customer is going to be like, this doesn't work for me right now. Right. And then if you can somehow time and get in on that sweet spot where, Hey, you know, this is Mike, you know, from Mike's painting, uh, uh, you know, you're like, I do need this because my guy is, you know, jerking me around that kind of thing. Now you're in, you're going to knock it out of the park and guess who's the new guy.
0: The cool thing about painting contractors is that that window of dissatisfaction is guaranteed.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. A hundred percent. It's, it's like, so, when you hear i've got a guy i've got a painter i've got a painter i've got a painter it's in b2b sales that no doesn't mean no it means not yet they will drop the ball it's just how do you get there and, I, and i'll give a perfect example even with painting suppliers i won't name names but the there was uh you know I was die hard a certain painting supplier and another painting a paint supplier called me and they're like hey i love your paint business you buy a lot of paint and i was like well i'm happy with my my paint supplier i'm never moving never moving loved my wrap loved everything and then event, he just kept calling, kept calling, kept calling. And it came a moment where they could not deliver my uh, order. And, uh, so guess who I called? I said, Hey, listen, uh, I need, I need, uh, you know, uh, X amount of paint, uh, like tomorrow, 7 30 AM. And who was there hand bombing, like four skids of paint out of his truck into my shop at 7:30 in the morning was that second paint supplier. And then he got years of, uh, of, of revenue off of me just for that. Uh, and so it's like identical uh, to what we deal with in the B2B world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. I know. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah. We know a dissatisfaction um, because so often I, I talk to contractors, they do a little bit of outreach to some property managers or builders or, or real estate you know, agents or something like that. And, and they get a no and they just move on. Yeah. So oh, how yeah. do you work past that and what type of, of outreach schedule would you recommend? Um,
1: I mean, you can ask, uh, there's a whole series of questions you can ask, uh, depending on that. It's like, you know, are you happy with who, who you're using with now? They'll say, yeah, I am. And it's just like, great. Well, uh, I want to be here uh, as a second option in case, uh, you know, something happens, they get too busy or something like that. Or if you'd like to price check them, happy to do that. Uh, uh, you know, really getting yourself in a position where you're a viable alternative uh, uh, to that guy that they have. And then, mm. like you said, it's uh, pretty much inevitable that uh, they're going to need a viable alternative.
0: I like that. Get yourself in position to be a viable alternative, right? Give yourself a chance.
1: That's right. And and it might happen next year. It might happen in five. But yeah. uh, that's that's the B two B game. And then yeah. now it's on you to, of course, to execute. Uh, uh, you know, on the contracts uh, to make sure that. You don't fall victim to the window of dissatisfaction.
0: Hundred percent. You got to walk the walk. Yep. How important is professional marketing material during B two B outreach?
1: Uh, I mean, I think now uh, uh, just where the the world is going with digital marketing, and uh, uh, you know, just being able to present ourselves, brand is increasingly important uh, as a as a method of uh, demonstrating um, uh, credibility. So. Now, a lot of decision makers now or arguably the, the quote collectors in the B2B world, they're millennials and, uh, you know, and they're middle management type uh, type pieces there. And uh, they uh, millennials are certainly, uh, uh, you know, they want to feel good about who they're working with. And if you have solid uh, 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 branding or whatnot, uh, that's a signal that you care. Uh, that uh, you know you care about what you present and how you present it and the message that you're looking to, uh, to put out there, and uh, that is noticed by customers far more uh, than than it used to be. Totally agree. We're in the Instagram world, right? Everything's got to look good. You know, when you look yourself, look up on yourself online. I mean, you gotta create that FOMO. I'm missing out by not getting worked by this painting contract.
0: In the, in the world of Fiverr and Vistaprint, there's no reason not to look professional.
1: Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Get, you know, even getting a graphic designer to put stuff together, go on Upwork, tell them what you want. So you can get it done for you pretty inexpensively.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I like Fiverr for those types of gigs. Sure. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how about when it comes to the personal connection, uh, w- you know, with these, you know, decision makers in these firms, yeah. um, you know, you you have a meeting with them in their office. You see a, you know, Boston Bruins, uh, shadow box or something. Yep. How do you how do you incorporate that type of personal information into their, into your outreach? So, what you're talking about it's a
1: concept uh, uh, called um, uh, in B two B sales uh, having becoming the emotional favorite uh, uh, in in a, in a bidding environment. And uh, that is something uh, that's a word called propinquity, and it's a feeling of uh, closeness. And it's actually proven that even if you are the most expensive contractor, that if you were the emotional favorite, that the, your, that con that contact that you're dealing with will uh, create all sorts of mental gymnastics over uh, why they picked you uh, uh, to, it it wasn't price. It was because of this, this, and this, and this, and this, and the person, if you think that you're losing jobs due to price alone, it's because you don't understand the concept of propinquity and how that, uh, um, how, how that works out. And I think that part of it is, you know, building rapport. It's, it's, you know, asking them, you know, did you have a good weekend? It's like, what did you do this weekend? And, uh, you know, then they'll tell you, oh, I did this or this or this or whatever, right? And like, that's a hook to get connected to try and align interests so that you're able to connect as a human being so that when you leave that meeting, you're like, I I liked that guy. I want to work with them on this project, right? And down to the point where it's like, even if your numbers are way higher than the rest of the pack, that uh, when you build a close enough relationship, they'll tell you and you'll try to find a way to work it out.
0: I love that. That I, I learned a new word today, uh, propinquity,
1: yeah. uh, the,
0: the concept of closeness uh, is right. what, what Google says. So not physical closeness, but emotional closeness and, and developing that rapport on a whole, whole nother level.
1: A hundred percent. And then and that was the, the, the takeaway there was the mental gymnastics beyond price uh, to justify mm-hmm. why they went with you. That is very much a real thing.
0: Yeah, this can be applied to residential as well as commercial. Everyone yeah. is an emotional being. So if you can if you can tap into that, then all the better.
1: A hundred percent. Yep. I mean, that's it, is that these are still people on the other side of it. There's just more variables in the B2B uh, world that you're dealing with uh, because of budgets, uh, you know, approval, et cetera, boards, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, but then when they're going, they're fighting for you to their board uh i mean that's what you want it's not just here's all the quotes i received which one do you want it's Mm -hmm. like these are the quotes i received but this one impressed me the most and then like okay why and then they make the recommendation the board will generally say we'll go with your recommendation uh and then or they'll say we're going to go with the cheapest they might go and say let me go and see if i can work this guy down to make them cheapest and then they come back to you and they say hey can we work on this you're going to say let's adjust the scope uh, and make this work. Uh, uh, make this work out to what the budget restrictions are. You're in.
0: Awesome, and you can't achieve any of that without your propinquity. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people use a CRM to manage their B2C, you know, clients. So mm-hmm. you know, how many estimates am I doing? How many leads do I have? How do you apply the concept of a CRM to your uh, B2B sales, knowing that it's not quite as straight of a line as a as a residential.
1: Um, it's uh, so how we do it, it's still kind of done in a linear path for the process. Uh, so we'll have a marketing or a prospecting pipeline and then an actual sales pipeline. So the sales pipeline uh, should more or less be uh, pretty similar to how it works, uh, but with some slight adju- with B2C. But with the adjustment ours, and we, we call it just because of our of our business, we call it the parking lot. Uh, is that, you know, there's this it kind of signals this job is in limbo. Uh, So that uh, you're able to, with just key, you know, notes in your CRM to make sure that you do follow up with that job uh, on a, on a, on a regular basis. Uh, uh, Because yeah, uh, squeaky wheel gets the grease and uh, you know, that's, uh, that's another key element because.
0: It it, would, just to clarify, um, prospecting is when you're creating, developing that relationship with that potential decision maker, with that property management ma- manager. And then the sales pipeline is once that property manager gives you a quote or an opportunity to bid or an RFP, then that, that single job goes into the sales pipeline. Correct. Okay. So, what types of, let's start on the prospecting pipeline, because that's more foreign to more, yeah. more people. Um, what are the various stages in your prospecting pipeline?
1: So, we start off with just a raw list building out, you know, what are the properties, What are the property management companies in town? What's uh, uh, like, how, how do we, um, you know, just build out who potential people are. Um, but then uh, because of, you know, this isn't, this is now a B2B a much more personal connection than just like, hello, homeowner. Uh, th- this is something where you got to find out who the actual person is. Uh, on site. So, um, you know, just, so then it's utilizing Google phoning the company. Hey, is this person, the uh, property manager for this, uh, area here, that sort of thing. Um, and then, uh, uh, you know, we, we personally do just like, you know, a series of directive, uh, I guess, touch points to, dedicated to that specific person. Um, and then, uh, then, yeah, we're able to track, uh, the, the open rates. Uh, uh, you know, the success, uh, uh, I guess, uh, of, of those campaigns and, uh, you know, adjust the, the tactics accordingly.
0: But and what are the, thing. what are the stages that you segment your, So ours or... is very specific to ours, but you know, it's kind of like, you know,
1: uh, uh to generalize the, uh, you know, you got the just raw list confirming the list, then the next series are, is your process of, uh, of, you know, how you're hitting all those touch points. Right. So for us, we have, you know, a physical touch point, a, you know, a, a digital touch point, a passive touch point. And so they go through all of these those stages. Then finally, just like, again, on the phone, let's talk about it. Right. And then uh, or meet with them, uh, bring them coffee, donuts, introduce yourself. Uh, and then you're able to um, uh, then eventually they just stay in that prospecting stage until they're ready to buy.
0: Hmm. And and you won't classify them as ready to buy until not just a verbal agreement to send you a job, but I, that actual sending you a, an RFP.
1: Uh, no, I would say even if it's verbal, if they say I'd like a quote for this property, then yeah, it, you're in the sales process.
0: Now. Oh, sorry, I meant like, hey, we're we'll definitely consider you next time we have something come up.
1: Uh, I would keep them in prospecting. Yeah, uh, because you're gonna want to touch up. You're gonna want to touch base with them for sure.
0: Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I love that. And uh, with the system that you built, you know, across Canada and U.S., this is happening tens of thousands of times a day. Yep, love it. Now, to get some for someone to get started, how would you? I mean, you you're saying go go on Google and just find a list and start dialing.
1: Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's there's it doesn't get any uh, any more basic than that. Everyone wants a magic pill for you know for reaching out to all these people. I'm sorry, it doesn't exist. You know, it's like that wolf of Wall Street cl- uh, you know, uh, quote, you know, you're behind on red, pick up the phone and start dialing. This is a dial. B 2 b is a dial for dollars. Uh, uh, you know, and again, you can have digital marketing, uh, I guess as the as the icing of the cake, but the actual cake itself is you do need to have an active, consistent reach out campaign uh, to to uh, let these property managers know you exist and that you were a viable alternative or you're the guy right out of the gate.
0: Yeah, hundred percent do the thing, get the result and then systemize it.
1: Yeah. And, and we deal with that where people, it, you know, so, I, mean, I know a lot of business owners or, or even some of our franchisees, they, they want to sit back and just wait for the call-ins to come in, yeah. but that's not as often as not going to happen as much as it does be 2 B2C. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's something where you do need to, uh, uh, it is a slog, it is work. Uh, It's a full-time job. Uh, It's uh, you know, if you're gonna half-ass it, then you're gonna get half-assed results. Uh, uh, You know, when you dedicate and you put two feet into it, then and you keep it consistent, you can block schedule off a dedicated time for commercial clients, Uh, and um, and yeah, you're gonna you're gonna get some wins uh, just by by action.
0: Hundred percent. Double your output, and you'll double your input. That's right. Yeah. So now that you've reached, I mean, not now, but over the last couple of years, you've reached a critical mass. How has your branding um, and your your clean brand impacted the you know rate at which customers perceive you and, and you get in jobs?
1: Uh, well, I think you know, especially as we entered the United States, we really refined uh, what our message was because uh, before it was like we're line painters uh, and, and, and seal coders and asphalt repair people like, it's just like, these are the things we do. Uh, but then, you know, as we refined that approach, uh, we really needed to communicate through our branding and marketing that, uh, that we're a solid partner that we communicate, 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 uh, that we treat pavement as an asset and, uh, we utilize innovative products and materials. Uh, we really identify just those three uniques that make us who we are. And, uh, uh, and then, you know, apply that in all of our messaging to make sure that was very clear. And of course, in an aesthetically pleasing way, but it can't just be like, we are painters like that's, that doesn't tell you anything. Uh, they need to know more.
0: Sure. Um, one thing before we move on is you, like I said before, you have a lot of, uh, or several corporate deals with, um, big companies like home Depot and seven 11. How did you get those started and, and what are they like now?
1: Same process we've been talking about this whole time.
0: Just identifying the decision maker within the corporate structure. Exactly. Expanding. Yep.
1: That's exactly it. It's just a bigger fish. Uh, and of course, to get the bigger fish, uh, you have to be able to handle the bigger fish. So, uh, they're very skeptical of a lot of contractors out there that promise the world and then totally screw up, uh, that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, to get some of those larger accounts. Uh, uh, I think, uh, for most people, I guess, listening to this reach, finding a, fa- a, facility management company to offer yourself as a vendor, because they, these facility management companies usually act as a catch all to hunt down and find subcontractors. Uh, and that's just generally how it goes. I would say that probably they'd have probably better luck accessing those national accounts. Um, uh, because these are typically, uh, these facility management companies you know, set, are centralized uh, and they'll say, "Hey, Home Depot, I'll handle all of your properties," and then they go and find subcontractors in each region. We're able to self-perform, which makes us unique. Uh, but the uh, but just the in general, the way it's worked is uh, on a national level, um, one-offs uh, are are tougher to get. So it's like you got to align with who has the bigger contract.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, and and it's like sifting through the smaller contracts, doing a lot of work growing, that's kind of required before you get the, Hey, here's all the home depots and, and well,
1: uh, oh yeah. Or, or, I mean, or getting one home depot mm-hmm. or getting, you know, uh, you know, because what could happen, you reach out to home depot, and I've seen it, I've seen it over and over again. You reach out to Home Depot and then, you know, you, you, uh, find a way to have propinquity with the guy and he's like, I want to work with you. I'll give you all of my, uh, uh, all of my painting, uh, to be done all across the Western half of the continent. Uh, most people can't handle that. Right. <laughs> uh, that's, that, that's a lot. Uh, so they're gonna be, you know, now we got this big fish so now we're hunting down subcontractors ourselves and managing all of that. Now you're in a whole new business. If we're painters, uh, I would say uh, you'd want to go after those who are managing the subcontractors to be able to get that local set of Home Depots. Uh, uh, and then unless you expand on a national level, that's really all you can handle. And and if you burn them, you're out. So that's that's the, uh, uh, the the reality of it.
0: Yeah, you only get one chance. You yeah. don't want to punch too far above your weight class. You're going to get punched back.
1: Yep. Yeah, well, people eat with their eyes, right? They're like, oh, that looks like a big job can you even do this job can your cash flow can you even afford to do this job will you kill yourself waiting for the receivable right yep. it, it, it's it's a it's it's a it's the slow and steady wins the race at the end of the day
0: yeah cash flow cycle is a whole another discussion oh yeah <laughs> any any holes in the process that i missed
1: um not not that I'm not that I'm aware of. I mean, really, uh, it's it's connecting with the decision maker is the, at the base of it and getting their attention because they're all very busy and they get solicited all the time. So it's uh, being consistent uh, with and operating with what I say is consistent intensity,
0: yeah, I think the the sad thing about it is that ninety nine percent of the people listening to this will not take any action as a result of it.
1: well, well uh, yeah, no doubt, uh, but <laughs> this is uh, 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 because it is hard, uh, but the the one percent that do, uh, they're gonna change their lives uh, as a result of that. Uh, so it's like you gotta ask yourself: Are are you the one percent? Are you gonna do? Are you gonna go down the 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 road less traveled? Because uh, anybody who's truly made it uh, out there, they uh, they went and did the work. Uh, yep. It didn't just magically fall in their lap. Even though it might seem like it that some days, it did not uh, just fall on their lap
0: yeah what uh how does that um the harder I work, the luckier I get
1: yeah yeah I mean that's it uh, you just provide yourself more opportunities,
0: yeah, so I'm wanna change gears a little bit um lighten it up. your company has done tens of thousands of jobs,
1: something like that what yeah. is
0: what is the biggest thing that has gone wrong? across if like that one job that like comes to mind is that was an absolute training. Oh,
1: so many, uh, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, I'm to hear the war stories. Oh, uh, in our earliest years, uh, uh we were hired to paint the, uh, uh, the Calgary airport. And, uh, uh, so we had to do it overnight, of course, but the round, uh, f- uh, so we were painting the curb, uh, uh along the departures level. And starting around four or 5. AM, like that's not really flights or whatever. Right. So people are getting dropped off and, uh, uh dragging their, that there's like, you know, we're clearly painting their area, there uh, uh that area. And we had signs and all that sort of stuff, but people, uh, sort of, uh, walking through and dragging their luggage through the wet curb we had just painted. And we had paint all throughout the airport, like everywhere. Uh, and so I remember that like, it eventually made its way into like airplanes and things like that so uh, uh luckily we're you know that the airport knew that people just don't uh I guess listen to signs and things like that but that was another uh, another whole whole thing
0: oh man uh, yeah
1: um others being um uh, there was a, a large parkade uh being built in Calgary which uh uh they were doing um uh, they were using our TBL durables on every marking in there uh, but then the issue came is that the pavers, uh, did not install the, or did not pave it correctly. So they had to rip it all up and do it, which significantly delayed us like into December, January, uh, and it's a semi open parkade. And we had a, uh, minus 30, uh, I guess, uh, I guess, uh, cold blast and it had to get done. Uh, and so, you know, really just dealing with, tr- uh, you know, our, the, t- the TBL durables material does cure down to minus 30. So you can spray and they're like, well, good thing we're using this product. So I'm sending out the crews out there in 30, uh, uh, to spray and it takes two hours for it to cure at that temperature. So, and it gets extra thick and things like that. So, uh, all sorts of, uh, uh, of, of different issues, uh, related to that there as well. Uh, and, uh, and, and just, yeah, total debacles, but. Um, those are the top two that come to mind, uh, uh, right out of the gate there. And I know other franchisees have had, uh, all sorts of their own uh, challenges there, but it's classic,
0: classic stuff. I love it. I mean, as much as you, we all try to systemize our businesses and create processes, you're still going to get punched in the face.
1: Oh yeah, that's it. I mean, that's, uh, actually it's funny. I had a franchisee call me and he's just like, uh, I feel like I'm getting punched in the face every single day. And I was just like, yeah, this is what you wanted. Uh, right? Uh, was to run your own business. And this is why most people don't do this. It's, you know, running a business is all about solving problems and variables. And it comes to the point where you just begin to anticipate them. Uh, and uh, that's when the experience starts to to come in. And, uh, uh, but I mean, you can't learn how to deal with being punched in the face without being open to it. Uh, uh, and so that's, uh, it's, it, that's just the reality of being a business owner and you got us to connect out there.
0: Yeah. What are the, in in the boxing world, they call that having a strong chin.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: Yeah. Right on John. Well, thanks so much for this conversation, man. This was awesome. I learned a lot. I took like two pages of notes that I'm going to start implementing in my business. I hope that other people also took notes. And if not, if you're painting, if you're on job site, just listening to this, highly recommend going back and actioning this you could literally make millions of dollars just by implementing what you learn in this, in this last 45 minutes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just doing the work. I don't know what else to say. (laughs) Yeah. So John,
0: you've been, you launched just real quick. You went from 17 locations at the start of 2022. Yeah. Now you're at, you're quickly approaching 100. What is the, uh, what is the vision for Everline Codings?
1: Uh, well, right now, uh, yeah, we're very, very top heavy with brand new franchise owners. Uh, uh, you know, we're expanding very quickly through the United States. We still have some uh, some franchises left in Canada to, to fill out. Um, uh, but right now, uh, you know, taking a lot of uh, lessons and uh, mentorship from some of the greats uh, out there, uh, namely Charlie Chase over at First Service Brands and Brand Scootamore 100 Got Junk and Dina Dwyer over at Neighborly Brands and things like that. A couple that. of
0: great mentors there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So
1: just, you know, I'm, I'm right now a young Brian, uh, uh, you know, starting up 1-800. Uh, and so he's been able to kind of share his insight on the pitfalls I'm going to come across and things like that there. So, but at the end of the day, though, uh, the, the, the uh, uh, you know, a franchise system is nothing without successful franchisees. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, I know there there's, uh, uh, there's gonna be people that are be like, I don't want to pay that, that royalty on my business or whatever. We we do something what we call royalty return where we are able to quantifiably prove that you are actually gaining uh, at least thirty to fifty percent more value back uh, on top of the uh, royalties that, that are paid to us uh, because of us being able to utilize the uh, you know our buying power and things like that. So uh, right now the main focus is building out, uh, making sure that the franchisees are uh, as well supported as possible. I mean we. Uh, for the last two years, we've won the top uh, franchise brand in Canada for support. Uh, uh, so uh, looking to go for uh, number three here. And uh, so supporting them and continuing expanding our operational capacity and expanding our B2B services just in general.
0: Love it, man. Taking over the world one parking lot at a time. Working
1: on
0: it. Thanks again for uh, your time here today. And uh, yeah, man, keep crushing it.
1: All right. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. And well, uh, yeah, good luck to everybody out there.
0: Thanks for listening to the Painter Growth Podcast. If you want to grow your painting business, go to www.paintergrowth.com or click on the top link in the description. Talk soon.